Scripture reading will be from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of the minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Our invitation song will be 262. 262. Thank you, Eric. Tonight we're going to begin a short series of sermons, just three, the first three weeks of June. Most of you are probably aware of the topic, but we're going to be talking about the problem and also the solution to pornography. Um, a series of lessons like this is vastly different um, than typical sermon series I try to do on Sunday nights where we either tackle a particular text or Bible book or look at a foundational doctrine of the church or of salvation or something along those lines. Um, uh, it's going to be in the same format with regards to a series of teaching, but as you can tell, uh, the way things have gone tonight, we're changing the format a little bit to accommodate for our young people. and. Uh, you know, with that in mind, I want to say very first of all, thank you to our elders um, for their wisdom and their courage and their willingness to support an effort like this. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to know our elders too well just yet, you should really take advantage of doing that. They have a heart for souls that are hurting and souls that uh, need help, and they have a deep desire to guard and protect and shepherd the church here, not just um, in name or not just in pretense, but really um, uh, feet on the ground, hands in the dirt, working with those who need help. And so I want to thank our elders very, very much for supporting an effort like this as we change up a lot of things. I know that, that it uh, can rattle some things, so I, I appreciate that very much. I uh, also do, like uh, Cody said, want to thank the volunteers that were willing to do that. Some of you have volunteered for other nights. Thank you for that. That's so helpful. Um, for us to be able to do something like this, we need a, a giving and caring church, so thank you, and most certainly thank you all uh, for supporting and being here and being an encouragement. Um, I'm hoping we can do a couple things with our series of lessons in June. I know it's different. I know it can the, the topic can be a little bit challenging. Um, some of you may not have any real like connection point to this topic, but uh, hopefully by the end of this, we'll all see how this comes together. But I'm hoping we can do a couple things. First of all, I hope that we can begin a conversation about um, sexuality in an over-sexualized culture. We live in a hyper, hyper-sexualized culture. Uh, no culture in the history of the world has put more emphasis more attention and more pressure in the realm of sexuality than we're experiencing right now. The exposure is unreal. It's, it's intense. And so um, one of the things that I've learned as I've spent the last about eight months uh, researching, reading, it's taken me from 
you know, men's health journal to a sociology class online at NYU about sexuality to scriptures that have to do with this to other men and, that have taught on this subject is the more I've learned about this, the less I really feel like I fully understand what's going on. So I hope that we will begin a conversation, be able to help, um, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to start the solution to this problem. The goals are twofold. First of all, the goal is for anyone who might be struggling with the sin of pornography to see that there is hope, to see the, to see the, the, the bright and shining glory of the hope of Jesus Christ in the face of this darkness. And so we want to um, be able to present this message in a way that is hopeful to those that there is um, freedom from this slavery. There is liberation from this problem. And so we want to do that. And the second goal is this, that we would cultivate a group of people who can support, help, walk with, and encourage those who may be struggling. And that can include us as a church family, being equipped to receive those that are struggling, especially with this sin. Um, maybe a spouse um, who has a, has a spouse who's struggling with this, or maybe a parent to a child, or maybe a friend or a brother to another brother, to become people that can see the sin of pornography as it is. It is a manifestation of sin in the same vein as greed and pride and arrogance and all of the other sins. The problem with things like pornography and homosexuality is that they make us incredibly uncomfortable. So the sin of pride is no different than the sin of pornography, but pride just doesn't make us as uncomfortable. We just, you know, cockiness or arrogance or confidence. The sin of greed doesn't make us uncomfortable. Very few of us are having our stomachs turning and, and, and just can't hardly look at somebody who might work on Wall Street, right? Uh, not to say that all of them are greedy, but, but what takes place there at times. But this one makes us uncomfortable, but it has the same root problem. And so it has the same solution, just different skin. The last announcement I want to give you before we begin is this. We're finishing up the final touches on a full list of resources to help. Uh, it's going to be on our website. There's going to be uh, book recommendations, articles, videos, other websites, because there's a lot of ministries that are happening in this area. And so what I'm trying to do is aggregate all of that to be in a central location for not only people that are struggling, but for spouses that are dealing with this, for families that are dealing with this. And all of that will be there so that you can have some help uh, this will continue to be developed, and so you coming to us and letting us know some things that you may think that we could be helpful would also be beneficial so we can go find those resources. But the most relevant resource is this. We are wanting to offer connection to, to, to be with you, to walk with you. You see, the reality is private sin never can be solved privately. Private sin cannot be solved privately. This doesn't mean that it has to be solved publicly on the public stage. But it does mean that it has to be solved connectedly. You've got to be connected with somebody. You've got to work with somebody. And so we've set up a confidential email for anyone who needs to make contact. A confidential email. It's very simple, so you don't have to you know, write it down. I think you all can remember it. It is just simply help at pickeringtonchurch.org. Help at pickeringtonchurch.org. Or you can call email or text one of the elders or Matt or myself, we're, we're very much available, and we will set up confidential times to meet to begin to work through this 
um, this problem if you need to talk about that. So help at pickeringtonchurch.org is a confidential email that we will be able to work with you uh, to try to help you. So with all those announcements, we won't have to do that every week, but let's get started. I'm excited. Um, I have so much hope bubbling up in me for those of you that might feel so dark or uncomfortable right now. Uh, the power of the gospel is so far greater than any other power in this world, including the lie of pornography. It is so much more powerful. And so I have great anticipation, great hope, and great excitement to start this journey with you in the month of June. There are just three things, three statements that I want to walk through with you tonight um, to make sense of this problem, to lay the groundwork for what we're going to do in the next two weeks. And those three statements are this, that pornography is real. The problem is real. Some of you may not be fully connected with how real the problem is, and I'll try to help you understand that. Uh, the second one is pornography is not just bad, but it's harmful. Pornography is harmful. And the third one is this, that pornography is powerful. And we're going to walk through those. We're starting from the easiest and we'll go to the hardest, powerful, uh, together. That pornography is real, pornography is um, harmful, and pornography is powerful. Let's, so let's get started. Let's start with that it's real. Let's talk about the industry for a minute. Um, it was Lyndon Johnson who commissioned an executive committee to study the problem of pornography uh, during the term of his presidency, and they came back with a report that said, uh, it's kind of a fledgling, small, $10 million a year industry. It's just not that big of a deal. I don't really think you need to put that on your agenda to worry about. So, uh, you know, the early 60s to the mid-60s, in our country, the problem of pornography, the, the, the spectrum of pornography in our culture was just tiny. It, it was small. Um, in fact, Ohio, unfortunately, claims... Uh, to be the, the host of one of the major publications in America. Most of you may know who he is, Larry Flint, who started the magazine Hustler in the early 70s, became, uh, it's really when the explosion took place. Um, not that you need to understand all that history, but the industry, the growth of the industry outpaces the growth of any other industry in the world. Are you ready for some numbers? I don't like to use uh, stats because sometimes preachers use stats just to be like a fear monger, you know. No offense, Bill Riley, but um, anyway, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Sometimes we use stats just to scare you, but I want to tell you a few things. In 2009, 2009, so this is old, the pornography industry was a $14 billion industry. And just to put that in perspective, they made more money than ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. The industry of pornography made more money than Major League Baseball, the NBA, National Hockey League, and the NFL combined. More money. So you know how big the NFL is in, in wives are like, yes, I know how big the NFL is. We talk about it like literally 24-7. In fact, ESPN exists because of this. This industry they only made $9 billion. The revenue was $9 billion. Pornography is $14 billion. Out of the top five words searched in Google, two of the five, in the whole world, the top five words ever put into Google, two of them are sex and porn or pornography. That's how big this is. Every 39 minutes, a new pornography video is created in the United States. 
So by the time we're done here, we'll probably have two more pornographic films created. We'll get into the seedy nature of that industry in a minute. 4.2 million websites are strictly pornographic websites, which represents 12% of the internet. 12% of the internet is dedicated to this. And 42.7% of all internet users view pornography. 35% of all internet downloads are videos or pornographic videos. 35% of all. Now, now, how much do your kids download iTunes, right? And then the music and 35% of all the internet download is pornography. The industry's real. It's a, it's a profitable, huge industry. So who's it a problem with? Well, of course, right, men? That's the predominant uh, demographic that it's a problem with. And the reality is, the statistics say that Across age demographics, there's really not a huge difference. 18 to 30, you know, is upwards in the 70 to 75% users. You get up to like 55 and older, it's like 49.8%. So, so you see there's not a huge shift in age demographic. Financial demographic, in fact, 15,000 and under is one of the lower percentages of people that use pornography. 90,000 and above, the highest. It doesn't discriminate on money. It doesn't discriminate at age. 65% of men in a Barna research poll this year said that they view pornography once a month. 29% of women say that they are now viewing pornography once a month. 29%. And this does not count uh, reading material, you know, reading books that are laced with pornographic messages. This is just watching pornographic videos. 29% of women. And that number is up from like 15% just two or three years ago. So it's a huge spike. Okay, how about kids? 90% of boys and 60% of our girls will be exposed to some pornographic material before they're 18 years old. 90%. 90%. And I think we can understand that that makes sense. The average age of the first exposure is 12 years old right now. So 12 years old is the average age that a kid is exposed, not to um, Grey's Anatomy, but to internet pornography. 12 years old is the average age that kids are exposed. 20% of our kids will send a nude picture of themselves before they're 18 years old. 20%. And 40% will send or receive a sext before they're 18 years old. 40%. But good thing we're Christians, right? Whew. Problems out there, not in here. 42% of men view pornography once a month that claim to be Christian. So here's, uh, let me get 15% of women that are Christian. Once a month. So I'm not talking, I have seen pornography in the last 10 years, you know. One time at the Marriott, you know, 15 years ago, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done that. I'm talking once a month, 42% of men that are Christian are saying they're watching pornography once a month. And 15% of women. Hotels like the Marriott brand report a spike in pornographic rentals in their rooms when Christian conventions are in a city. A spike. And parents, this is just um, a side note. This is, this is my own uh, just statement to you. I, I believe that one of the reasons this is such a problem in Christian homes is that pornography is a way for young people to be rebellious yet secretive. 
So um, your kids, it's harder for them to go do drugs. It's harder for them to go get alcohol and get drunk. But this is a way of rebellious expression that can be easily accessed, accessed, kept secret, and just you know move forward without mom and dad knowing. 75% of parents don't know what their kids are looking at on their devices, whether it be their phone or their computer, okay? So if the numbers are just half true, which they might be, it's a problem. It's a serious problem. Pornography is real and pervasive. It knows no demographic of age. It knows no social class. It knows no race. And it has no distinction on religion. None. It's real. Um, I came across this quote that I thought you all might like. It says this. If you think that you cannot fall into sexual sin, then then you are godlier than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. If you think that you're not suspect to fall into sexual sin, then you have to be godlier than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. So, okay, porn is real, right? Pornography is a real industry. It's really happening. It's a real problem in our midst. I mean, amongst Christians, it's a real problem. Okay, we've got to lay that down. The second thing I want us to say is this. We, we can beat the drum that porn is bad. I mean, we, we need to say that. But the message I want to get um, underneath that to those that may be struggling with this and those that are dealing in this, in this arena is porn is harmful. It's incredibly harmful. Let me just rattle off a few ways that it's harmful. It's physically, I mean bodily physically harmful. Uh, we're, I'm going to show you later that porn is actually addictive like cocaine, chemically addictive. Um, the other thing is there's a spike. I mean, I mean, doctors across the country are just noticing a huge spike in men under the age of 30 that cannot have an erection because they're just physically burnt out. It's a serious problem. Mentally, it's a harmful, harmful problem. 90%, 90% of all pornographic videos, all of the scenes have violence towards women. And in those images of women receiving violence from men, I mean, being hit or multiple men attacking them, or the scene is set up as a woman being grabbed and raped, of those scenes, the women are portrayed as it's pleasurable and right and enjoyable. So the messages of pornography are massively harmful to our psyche, to our mind, and it's messing with the way that people then approach a physical relationship with a real woman or a real man and view how intimacy and sex should really happen. You, you know, it's, just, it, it's very, very harmful mentally to the messages of pornography. Emotionally, it's very harmful to you. Loneliness is really what we're going to see is what drives people to porn. It really is. It's loneliness in some way, shape, or form. But here's the problem. Loneliness drives you to porn, but porn leaves you more lonely. Because the moment you get into this problem, into this sin, who can you tell? All of a sudden, the shame piles up bigger and bigger, and the guilt is heavier and heavier, and you actually have to isolate yourself more and more when this problem comes about. And so you start off isolated, lonely, maybe afraid of intimacy, and you move into pornography as a medicine to deal with that problem, and it just makes you more lonely. That is the cycle of all sin. That is the cycle of every kind of sin, that it really cuts you off from life where you can find it. Spiritually, pornography is harmful. You know in Matthew 5 when Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. 
that, that phrase pure in heart, if you go back and get into the Greek, what Jesus was using, he could have, he could have picked a lot of words to use when, when, he, when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. Because there's a lot of words that have to do with cleanliness and righteousness and standing before God. But he picked a word. Um, some of you younger people might not know what this word is because pleats are not cool anymore and pants. You guys know what pleats are? That's what that word means, to be without folds, meaning nothing is hidden. So to be pure in heart means that we take the pleats and we flatten it out, and nothing is hidden anymore. You see, your secrets have power, massive power. People don't realize that. They think that they have power over their secrets. That's the great deception is that you, when you have secrets, whether it's porn or whether it's drug use or whether it's alcohol problems or whether it's just whatever your secrets may be, secrets have power. And we think, I have power over my secrets, therefore I'm controlling things. But the reality is, your secrets have power over you. Here's, how, here's one way in particular. Your capacity to let yourself be loved by somebody is directly correlated with how much you are known by that somebody. So let's say, for instance, that I'm 99% known by my wife, but I've got this thing that I just, I'm, I'm, maybe it's in my past. Maybe it's 15 years ago, something I did or something I said or something that happened to me. Um, maybe, maybe it was not even a sin of my own problem. Maybe somebody violated me when I was young. Okay, and I've got this secret. That secret drastically affects the way that I can receive my wife's love to me. Because in the back of my mind will always on record be playing this. If she really knew this, she wouldn't love you. So to be 99% known is really to be unknown. And to be 99% known leaves you in a place where you cannot be loved. You cannot have intimacy. And this is not an advocacy to say, hey, everybody needs to know all your secrets. That's not what this is. But those that are close to you, parents, uh, maybe not children in all circumstances, but spouse especially, maybe a brother or sister in Christ, uh, same gender, to be known is, opens you up to be loved. And that's the real thrust behind confession in the, in the practice of Christianity. Okay, socially, it's harmful. Um, I wish I had time to go into this, but, it, but it's not beneficial specifically for us right now. But the sex industry in our culture, in our world, um, especially the pornographic industry, those of you that may be struggling with this, I want to I give you this angle to think about. If you're in a moment, if you're in the heat of the moment where you just feel like you want to give in to pornography, I want to give you this piece to think about. I want you to think about living a life of justice. The number of under 18 girls that come from broken, impoverished, or parentless homes that are literally taken and put into the sex trade industry and then fed drugs and buy guns have to make in the back of some hotel room cheap pornographic videos so that we can watch online is real. And I'm talking like Hilliard, Ohio just busted. Toledo, Akron, Columbus. This is happening. And so to participate in this is to feed the problem of the sex trade industry, which is bigger than the transatlantic slave industry of the 18th century. Bigger. And so to play into that does that. I would even encourage you to think about things like um, where you stay in a hotel. Some of you that travel, the Marriott Hotel, three or four of the guys that are on the board there are professing evangelical Christians that tout family values, yet lace their pockets with cash 
over the rental of pornographic films. These are, I'm not telling you never ever stay in a Marriott. I mean, this is, this is not a legalistic sermon. What I'm saying is just be conscientious of that. Think about that. These guys are filling their corporate pockets with cash and selling pornographic films. And, and the amount of money they make off that is huge. And the women that are in that, you listen to the testimony of the, of the girls that get out. They say you have to be on heroin, cocaine, crack just to survive and have a smile on your face because your guts are literally falling out of your body constantly. Um, so socially, it's a problem. Let me give you the last one. Relationally, it's harmful. If you're married, it destroys your intimacy. And if you're not yet married, it erodes the hope that you have for intimacy. We're going to learn in just a moment that you were designed and built and created by God to be intimate, which includes sexual expression. But you were designed to be intimate. And intimacy is not sex. Sex is an expression of intimacy. But if you are practicing in this problem and you're married, you are just betraying and destroying the ability to be intimate with your spouse because you know that if you sneak off while she's asleep and you go watch pornographic film on your computer and you slide back into bed and she's been asleep, you know you're eroding the faithfulness of that marriage. You know that. And it's eating you up and she has no idea. Those of you that are single, it begins to really work on you that, like, I could probably never be connected to somebody if they really knew where I come from and who I am. So it's eroding us relationally. But let me get to the last part. So pornography is real. It is so harmful, so harmful. But here's what's so important for you to learn. Pornography is powerful. It has incredible power, equal to the likes of somebody being addicted to cocaine chemically. So, like David said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? God has made us. And just uh, the more you learn about this, you're going to be just in awe of your creator, that he made you the way he made you. So scientists are, are, are slowly learning and calling something that God has always known about in your brain that is called the reward pathway. Uh, if you took a cross section of your brain, like, you know, I don't advise this at home, but if you cut your head straight like this, and then you look down on your brain, you would see three concentric circles, you know, concentric circles, and in the middle of your brain is what's called the limbic brain. And in your limbic brain is where you have all of your emotions and your experience. It's where you know things like loyalty and trust, and it's where you have things like excitement and joy. And, um, and then on the outer ring is what's called the neocortex, which is where you have all of your logistical thinking. It's like the office secretary of your brain, which says, okay, here at Tuesday, you have to do this at four o'clock and, and uh, don't forget to do this. And when you're going to make this recipe, you need one third cup of this. That's, that's the neocortex of your brain. The inside of your brain is the experience. So the best example I've ever heard is from a guy named Simon Sinek, who said, when you go to the, a car dealership and the car dealer says, okay, this car gets 42 miles a gallon, it's uh, maroon in color, it has leather seats, it's got heated seats, it's got navigation system, and your cortex, the neocortex says, I wanted that gas mileage, I like this color, yeah, yeah, I like the leather, uh, the price is fine, I understand all of this, but then in you, you go, I, I just don't think this is the right car. That's your limbic brain. It just doesn't, what do you say? Feel right, does it? That's your limbic brain, okay? Now, how many of you, uh, usually we, we are strong in one and weaker in the other. How many of you are strong in the limbic brain? Like, like a little bit more experiential, creative, uh, maybe not so buttoned up on your, nobody's, everybody's afraid to raise their hand. That's me. I mean, way, I'm bad, okay? Just ask my wife, and she has probably gray hair already because of it. 
How many of you are more like neocortex, like, like we got to follow the rules and this is, how many of you are like that? How many of you married somebody opposite of you? Keep your hands up so we can write you on the prayer list. <laughs> Lisa and I could not be farther, farther opposite. You know, I'm like, this is going to be a great thing. She's like, well, how are you going to pay for it? You know, she's just completely opposite, completely opposite. Okay. It, the brain is a powerful thing. And your sexual experience, guess where it's found? Where do you think? In your limbic brain. And so oftentimes I tell young people this, like, like in your limbic brain is where you have sexual urges and desires. That's where all your urges come from. Uh, even the, the idea of being hungry and thirsty doesn't come from your neocortex. Like, it's noon, I should eat right now, but I, you feel hungry, okay? Um, so that, that's how those work. But in the limbic brain, God created what's called a reward pathway. And its job is to keep you alive by doing what its name says, to reward you with the feeling of pleasure when you do things that either sustain your life or procreate life. So your brain, when you go and you eat food, it releases a chemical called dopamine, and your brain receives that dopamine. You have, you have one that releases and a receptor. And you go, ah, oh, that feels good. You enjoy that. And so you eat food, and this is good. And what's happening is you're building like a circuit, a pathway. And so what your brain is teaching you to do is, hey, dummy, when you're hungry, return to this pathway because it feels good to eat food. Okay? Um, the same happens when you are thirsty and you drink. Or the same happens when you're born and a mother holds you. And you're like, I like this. This is nice. This is where I get life. This, is what, this will take care of me. It happens when you are beginning to date somebody and you hold their hand for the first time. And you're, I kind of like this. This is neat, you know, and there's a reward pathway being built in your brain. And God is amazing at this. He's created you in a way that will sustain your life. Well, things like cocaine are substances that are outside of your body that come into your body. And what they do is not the substance itself, but it tells your brain to reflood you with dopamine. And so here's what you get when you take cocaine. You get all the pleasure feeling of the world of being high without any work whatsoever. Without going and killing an animal and making food. Without doing a really good job at your work and feeling proud of it. Without deeply investing in somebody else in service to experience intimacy. And guess what does the same exact thing? Pornography. You see, what pornography does when you watch these images is it releases an insane amount of dopamine into your brain. It floods your brain with dopamine, and so you have this incredible high, this incredible rush, and it creates a reward pathway that says, hey, if you want to feel this way again, come back and do this again, okay? But your brain cannot handle that much dopamine release, and so here's what your brain does. To compensate for the flooding of dopamine, it cuts off receptors. I can't drink that much dopamine. we got to cut off some valves here. And so guess what happens? Two problems. Number one, when you come back to pornography, the same porn you watched a week ago just cannot actually give you the same level of feeling because you have less receptors. The second problem, so you have to escalate your pornography. It has to become more violent, more extreme. The second problem is this, as you get addicted to pornography, is that having lunch with your family on Thanksgiving which used to release dopamine and you'd receive it and you'd enjoy that and say, this is nice, no longer has an effect on you. Just, it's lame. It ruins it. Okay? 
What God intended to bless us with, Satan has turned into a curse. That's what it is. That's what pornography is. Okay. The problem is drugs and porn release unnaturally high levels of dopamine and they require you to do no work. That's the problem. So let me get down to the spiritual aspect and be done. In Ephesians 4, like uh, Eric read for us, there's a, there, there's a key. There's a little piece of information that you've got to see that Paul reveals about the life of sin. In verse 22, Paul is writing to these Christians saying, hey, your life was over here and it was like this. You were futile in your thinking. You were darkened in your understanding. You didn't understand the life of God. You were separated from fullness of life. And here's what he says in verse 22. He tells them that they should put off their old self. Here's what their old self was. It belongs to your former manner of life. You mean the way that you used to live? But why did you used to live that way? Here's the secret. Here's the key. Uh, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's your key tonight. That pornography, drug use, laziness, any other sin, overworking, pride, greed, all of those things. All of those things. Every desire that we have for sin has actually inside of it a godly seed that is not a wrong desire, a distorted desire. Let me give you an example. When I was uh, in high school, I wasn't a very good Christian. In fact, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Um, the crowd that I ran with enjoyed, to go to, enjoyed going to parties, and um, our main objective was just to like land at the top of the social hill of high school, which is totally a great life goal, by the way. You know, you just you land there and life's set. You know, there's no pro- it's absolutely dumb. It's not the best time of your life, okay? I promise it's not. College isn't either, so just lower the expectations. It's just, it's actually going to be really lonely and kind of depressing, but you'll get through it, okay? Okay, when I was in college, though, so freshman year, I'm like, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm all in. My roommate partied, but I was held strong. I didn't go anywhere. But it was incredibly lonely to watch people run past my dorm room every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday night just going out. I was lonely, lonely down in Athens. And then my sophomore year, I just really, really, I just was struggling. Um, our, our college group had dwindled on the guy's side. We had a lot of girls, but very few guys. And, and the guy that I was roommates with, that he was a Christian, we both were just getting weak. And I desired to go out to all the bars and the parties. I wanted to do that. Now, let me explain how this works. What was I really desiring? Think about it. What was, what's godly in that desire? Can you, can you come up with it? What's godly about that desire to want to go out and, be, and go to the party? What's godly about it? What did I want? Connection. I, wanted, I didn't care what I was drinking. I really didn't because if everybody went somewhere else, I would go with everybody else. What I wanted was connection. So here's what it is. Satan is distorting my desire for fellowship. All sin, all desire... that is sinful, is a distortion of a godly desire. It's a distortion of it, okay? Desire is not sin. So your desire for sex, if you're addicted to pornography, is not sinful. Desire is what leads you on a path to have that desire satisfied. And without it, you and I would go hungry. You and I would not have intimacy. You and I would not seek God. We wouldn't desire Him. 
Desire is godly. Pleasure, hear this, pleasure is the satisfaction of those who take those God-given desires and satisfy them in a godly way. God-given desires satisfied in a godly way leads to the deepest satisfaction of life. All of your mind, your body, and your soul are healthy. All of them. So if you go back to Genesis 2 and you start reading through the text, when God created Adam and Eve, it says in verse 9 that He made the trees beautiful for Adam and Eve to look at. They loved to look at Him. And He said He made the food, the fruit of the trees, good for food. Okay, what happened to Eve when all of a sudden Satan showed up? What did she say? Hmm, this fruit is looks nice. It's good for food, and it'll make me wise. What did Satan do? He took original desire for beauty, original desire for substance from food, and he distorted it in Eve. He distorted it. That's all he did. So in chapter 2, verse 18, God says this about original desire in every human being. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. And inside of every human being is a desire for intimacy. And this is what we're going to talk about next week, okay? So next week's chunk is learning about intimacy and what it really is and how we can find healthy intimacy. So in Genesis chapter 3, Satan takes our original desires, he deceives us, and what he does is offers us an alternative. And what he does, here's how he works. So I just want to help you understand this. Here's how Satan works. He usually strikes fear in you about the amount of work that it's going to take or the amount of risk that's going to be involved to actually satisfy your desires in a godly way. So for instance, with intimacy, God will, uh, Satan will put in front of you, hey, no woman will ever accept you. No man will ever want you the way that you are. And so he puts risk and fear in your mind and then all of a sudden you're scared of intimacy and you think, I can never have it, so how am I going to solve that desire? Oh, look, you can have pornography, and in the privacy of your home, without any risk of rejection, the most beautiful women on the earth will be yours. You're being lied to, and I'm tired of it. It's disgusting. Intimacy is being distorted. There's not a desire in the world that's sinful. There are just sinful ways of satisfying your God-given desires. This is the spiritual strength of pornography, Your desire is not for sex, it's for intimacy. Sex does not create intimacy. No matter what all the cast of friends say, no matter what all the shows say, sex does not create intimacy. When there's intimacy and there's covenant and there's safety in marriage that a woman and a man are not going to leave, you'll have the most experiential, magical sex in the world. Everything else... Is awkward and lonely. Everything else. Satan convinced us from the very beginning that we either can't have what God has wanted us to have or it's impossible to get it or he reminds us of all the past experiences that have been painful and we've been rejected and he offers you, as I said, a result without any risk. But here's what I want you to know tonight. That pornography is not really your problem. Okay? Pornography is actually not the problem. Pornography is the medicine that people are using to solve their intimacy problem. Pornography is a medicine, not the problem. you got to get down to the root. The root is intimacy. And when you want intimacy, you've got to know where to get it. 
And additionally, like I said before, loneliness drives you to porn, and then porn leaves you more lonely and isolated than you were before. And so our intimacy training begins the moment we're born. And in a broken and sinful world, our ability to have pure intimacy with parents, with siblings, with spouse, with friends, gets so damaged. And so what you and I do is we cope. Some of us run to work to have status so people will like us. Some of us run to humor or comedy. Some of us run to pornography. Some of us run to multiple sexual partners. We run to things to cope with the fact that our intimacy is broken in a sinful world. And so this week, the takeaway is this. We are born with beautiful desires. And through sin, those desires get deceived. And the desire you experience, whether it's porn or not, have a root of godliness in them. And I challenge you this week, when you feel a desire for something sinful, ask yourself, without running from it or distracting yourself, ask yourself, what's godly in this desire that's being deceived right now? And you'll begin to feel empowered by God. What's godly in what I'm really desiring right now? And that will empower you with God. You see, um, pardon me, the desires you experience have a root of godliness, and then through fear and shame, we pursue ungodly ways to satisfy those. But from the beginning, it was God's plan for His will and your pleasure to be united. When I say pleasure, I mean satisfaction of godly desires in a godly way, for those to be united. There's only one person in the history of the world that had both the will of God and not His pleasure united. Do you know who? Jesus Christ. And yet even though it wasn't for His pleasure, Jesus was still satisfied. He had a deeper pleasure that was your salvation. He looked at the cross and He knew this. He said, my children, my people, the reception of intimacy is broken. They don't know how much they're loved. And the cross is the way that I can both take the wrath and express the love in the clearest form to let them know so that their intimacy can be rebuilt and healed. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 says this in prophecy of Jesus. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. Jesus shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The only way we're going to fix this intimacy problem and stop running to porn or running to any other sin that you're running to is to rebuild real intimacy with Jesus Christ. In him and in the Father, you are fully known, no hidden secrets. But do you know you're fully loved? And when those two things come together, intimacy in you will begin to rebuild with God. And all of a sudden, you'll have the confidence to enter into the relationships in your life with real intimacy, real purity of heart. And right now is an opportunity that we want to offer to help you do that. And I hope that you know the other ways that we're available to you. Let's stand and sing.